our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Dr. Anil Kumar Sina once said, Speak your truth with compassion and care. Own your mistakes and weaknesses. We all have them, and it's far more honest to accept and face them than ignore or to hide them. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 1004th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website, Facebook, and our chat board. So let's get started. Jonathan, what's on the table today? This is going to be something. Well, Rick, our question is, is my gender your business? And our theme text is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So, is my gender your business? As Charles Dickens opened his, cla- Dickens opened his classic novel, A Tale of Two Cities, he wrote, It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. He went on to explain the contradictions of his own culture. Well, here we are generations later, and we can easily say the same thing. Our culture is filled with wonder, technology, and advancement, as well as suffering, misunderstanding, and false narratives. One group of culture that finds itself right in the middle of all this is those who are transgender. For many, the idea of being transgender is not only foreign, but perhaps even highly doubtful. For others, being transgender feels natural and needs not only recognition but respect as well. This truly poses a dilemma of understanding and acceptance for many on all sides of the matter. So, how do we, how should we as Christians, approach such a sensitive and passionate part of our world? Where should we stand? Why should we stand there? And how should we approach those with whom we may disagree? And Jonathan, as we get into the subject, as with every other subject, it's always our objective to choose an approach in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try to find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. So again, the subject matter is, is my gender your business? We're going to spend the next 90 minutes talking about transgender individuals, and what to do, what to think, and, and, and so forth and so on. And don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. Chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on air. And Rick, this is a very sensitive um, podcast that we're doing. So due to extreme sensitivity, emotionally charged and potentially graphic content of today's podcast 
we encourage parents to use their discretion regarding the listening ears of their children. Okay, and, and Jonathan, this is a very unusual subject for us to deal with, and it's a subject that, frankly, I don't have a lot of natural understanding on. So I sought to find somebody who could help me interpret things. And it just so happened that my daughter, Emily DePierre, is a, an APRN, and Emily is with us for tonight's podcast. Good evening, dear daughter, Emily. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, thank you. All right. So, Em, you, you are in the medical field. Tell us what you do and uh, just a little bit about your background. Well, <clears throat> I became a registered nurse in 2007. I did a year of medical surgical floating, then I went to medical oncology for a year, and then I did seven years in the emergency department as a nurse. I graduated with my master's um, and have been doing advanced practice nursing for the last two years. Um, currently work with adult geriatrics in nursing homes. So what is advanced practice nursing? It's a nurse, registered nurse, who has their master's degree and they um, are able to prescribe and diagnose and treat medical conditions um, they practice under their own license, and they usually collaborate with a physician um, in a facility or doctor's office. Okay, so you're not a doctor. I am not. Okay, but you have that, you're sort of in the in-between place. Then. Yes. So I kind of badgered you about this subject, yes, didn't you I? Did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, em, And, you know, Emily is actually, Emily and her husband, Don, are living with us in our house. Why are you living with us in our house? Just remind me. Oh, because a tree fell on it. In October. <laughs> so a tree fell on their house. They've been living with us ever since as their house is being repaired. And so you've been a really easy target for me to badger. Very and, hard to hide from. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this has been important because it helped me to get the information. So Emily is here today with us to give us two very specific things. First, she's going to relay medical facts. Okay, because as I was reading through things, I, I don't get them. Okay, and second, she's going to make observations, personal observations on those medical facts. So there's those two pieces that she's going to bring to the table. So, Jonathan, we're going to start each segment with a scriptural principle, end each segment with a scriptural principle, and then we're going to talk medical facts in between. So, let's get started. Our basic biblical perspective from which we will need to expand is in Genesis 1 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule. Well, Rick, it's pretty obvious now that after 6,000 years since Adam was created, that sin and death would have taken its toll on the human family, both mentally and physically. Yeah, you know, you're making a good point with that because what, we are far from, from perfection. And, and the further we go, the more difficult it becomes and things come up. And so this is an issue that we just need to understand and deal with. We are talking about transgender. What does it mean to be transgender? So let's start there. We're going to go to a a uh, YouTube video that uh, does, does I think, a reasonably good job of explaining some things in terms of what it means to be transgender. Let's start with that. What is transgender? Simply explained educational videos and lectures. And then, M, once we go through this little, little, little soundbite, just give us a sense of what it means to be transgender and then what gender dysphoria is all about. How do you explain gender and what it means to be transgender? Meet Kayla. Her friend Adam recently came out as transgender. 
but she's unsure what that means. Adam, happy to explain, lets her know that first she must recognize the difference between gender and sex in order to comprehend what it means to be transgender. Kayla is confused because she thought gender and sex were the same thing. But Adam informs her that they are very different. Sex is what everyone is biologically born as, male, female, or in some cases, intersex. In contrast, gender, which is separate from sexual orientation, is how we express masculinity and femininity. Think of a linear scale with femininity on one side and masculinity on the other. Instead of emoting one or the other based on sex, people can move throughout the gender scale freely and express various degrees of both at will, despite their biological anatomy. Okay, so and we're going to start with just some basic clear definitions. Now, there were some things in that particular soundbite that I know you certainly may take issue with. We're going to come, come up, up and deal with those as we go through our podcast today. So let's start. What does it mean to be transgender? And then what is gender dysphoria? And are those two things the same thing? Okay, so the definitions I got from a actual a continuing education article that I did for just my um, degree, and it was from Clinical Care of the Transgender Patient, and it defines transgender as an umbrella term for those whose gender identity or expression is different than that typically associated with their assigned sex at birth. And this includes a myriad of different people, transsexuals, androgynous, cross-dressers, genderqueer, and the list is extensive. Gender dysphoria is a um, DSM-5 diagnosis, which is a diagnostic, that stands for Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Health. Okay, so DSM-5. Why is it not a four or a six? That's just the level of, that's just the name of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's probably just, you know, they rename it every time they re-do. Got it. Okay. So currently we're in a DSM-5 for Got mental it. health diagnoses. Okay. DSM-5 is very specific to mental health in and of itself. Um, this term is quantified as the distress and suffering experienced when gender identity and biological sex are not completely congruent. This is considered less stigmatizing than the original diagnosis of gender identity disorder. So they changed it. Okay, so they changed the name from gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria because it's less stigmatizing, uh, stigmatizing for the person who's suffering. Correct. Got it. Okay, so we got a sense... Of, so, so would you say transgender and gender dysphoria, are they, are they the same thing? I mean, I think it's, you know, I think transgender is the feeling of wanting to be or, I don't sorry, struggling with the words here, um, wanting to be or feeling that you should be dressing a certain way or acting a certain way versus gender dysphoria um, should be in my opinion, used as after you've been extensively evaluated by a psychiatrist who's licensed to do so and finds that this is truly something that you are suffering from or dealing with and that is a diagnosis that's attached to it. Okay. So it's more than just a feeling. So so transgender is more of a sense of where someone is. Gender dysphoria is more of the diagnosis. Thing. Right. Got it. Okay. Okay. All right. So that, that's, a, that's a place for us to start. Now, one of the things that I think is really important, I'm going to take a left turn here for a little while, uh, Jonathan, because this is important. And, and part of my own understanding of this whole gender issue and, and how to grasp it came... Um, 
when Emily, when you and I were talking about some some issues, and I was badgering you as a dad usually does to his daughter, and saying, "Well, why, 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 why?" And um, you had you you made a mentioned a phrase to me, a medical phrase, and I like stopped and said, "Well, what does that mean?" And then you went into this whole lengthy explanation, and it really really rang a bell of clarity in my head. The medical phrase that you said is, "Pain is what they say it is." Give us a sense of what that phrase means and how it came to be in the center of the medical world. So, I mean, I can't tell you exactly when it started, but I graduated in 2007. And one of the things that we were taught um, as a new graduate nurse was um, that pain is considered a fifth vital sign. Now, um, vital signs are your heart rate, blood pressure, temperature, pulse, respirations, things that can be physically um, objectively quantified versus pain is very subjective and we were really enforced that if someone says their pain is a 10 out of 10 you're not allowed to really doubt that or say well I don't believe you that you have to take it for what they're saying it is so you're taking it like you would read a heart rate correct got it so the problem with that you know especially when you worked in an ER um, is people would be under the impression that if they said their pain was a 10, even if it maybe wasn't, or under your impression that it wasn't, they would be seen quicker or whatever. Um, but medically speaking, doctors were getting surveys done by their patients and it was finding that they were, patients were complaining that their pain was not being addressed. And so then opiates came into play and it was a big push to prescribe a lot of opiates to address the pain levels that people were um, complaining of. And as we all know, we now have a large sum of opiate distribution, and it's a, a crisis um, with addiction, selling, overdoses. People would lose their prescriptions so they could sell prescriptions. Um, and now the DEA is coming down really hard on prescribers. You can it, There's very strict limitations. Being a prescriber, you have to register, and they monitor how much opiates you're now distributing. Okay, so, so what, what happened with this? And I think you had mentioned to me at one point, it was started like around 2001, and that the opioid usage and abuse has gone up, like you said, five, 500%. 500% yeah. in the last 18 years. And, and you look at that and say, well, why? And because pain is what they say it is, became that fifth vital sign. And it became, in, instead of an observation of the doctor, it became the, the will of the patient rather than the vital sign being read. And folks, if you look at that, that idea of pain is what they say it is, and take that and just expand it to the rest of our world. Here's here We are in a, in a place where we don't want our children to have to suffer. We don't want our children, nobody wants their child to, to, to be defeated or to go through difficult things and all of that. We're opposed to saying no to our children at this point in time. We're opposed to letting them feel the pains and the rejection of life. We've not taught them how to win with grace, how to lose with dignity, or openly listen to other perspectives. And as a result, pain is what they say it is. And if they say, I can't do it, we say, oh, it's okay. And let's just put that thought on the back burner as we go through and try to uncover this subject of understanding what it means to be transgender and what the medical facts are you know in relation to it then look transgender is a thing okay i want to make sure that we're clear uh before we get too too far here jonathan romans 323 is i think an important scripture here 
for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, I, I want to make, make a couple of statements, very blunt statements. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people as we were doing the preparation work for this, and uh, an associate of mine at work said that he overheard a conversation uh, in, in a hospital, and, you know, someone was talking to a transgender person, and the, the person talking to the transgender person was a Christian, and he overheard the Christian say, so what are you telling me, God made a mistake? You know, and it was, a, it was a sarcastic, insulting comment. And folks, let's be clear. God, first of all, does not make mistakes. Secondly, God did not create you to be as you are. He did not create me to be as I am. We were born in sin. We were shapen in iniquity. So we are not God's direct creations. Let's understand that so that we, we, we stop with those foolish arguments that look at somebody and say, well, you know, you're, you're, you're off because you're not in line with God's will. It's much, there's much more to it than that. So we want to make sure we understand those things. So Jonathan, we begin to wrap up this first segment, our business in dealing with this, because the question is, is, is my gender your business? Well, what is the business of a Christian? Now, we haven't even scratched the surface yet, but what's the business of a Christian here? Well, Rick, embracing God's plan and design for man while realizing and accepting that we in this present sinful world, left to our own devices, are all broken, all deficient, and all out of harmony of God's image. So the bottom line is every one of us is broken. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how good you think you are, we are all in the same sinful, broken boat. So Jonathan, so far all we've done is line up the fact that this is a very difficult matter. Absolutely. So let's focus. As we talk about being transgender, a major question is, where does medical science weigh in? We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time, then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. With any major debate on any issue, defining the crux of the matter is vital, and clarity in understanding the details and mechanics of gender fluidity is no exception. We need to look carefully at recent studies, trends, and conclusions to determine what information is medically worthy of building a foundation upon, and this is not easy. And I want to stress the idea here is we want to try to find out what to build our thinking on. You know, going into this, Jonathan, one of my challenges was I want to go into this without preconceived notions and ideas. I want to understand the medical science. I want to understand biblical principle. And by understanding both of those pieces, I want to be able to say, okay, here's what I stand for and why. Biblical principle for me, medical science, those two things really, really important. So let's get back to another scriptural principle as we begin to get into the medical science part here. Seek diligently for that which is not just good, but that which is godly good. And I don't know if you noticed, Jonathan, but we've been using that phrase, godly good, a lot. In our, we really have. Yeah. And, and, go ahead. And it means a lot to, to me that we're using it because each of us thinks we know what's good. But right. unless the Bible shows us the clear direction, you know, we could be wrong. Right. 
Right. Okay. So, Scripture, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks will be opened. Or what man is there among you whom, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So in the scripture, it's, 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 it's one of those scriptures that can be easily misread because it says, well, ask and it will be given to you. Seeking you shall find. Knocking it shall be opened. It's like, the world is your oyster. But again, it's asking in a godly, good fashion. It's asking with godly principles in mind and godly actions uh, behind us. And, and so that's what we want to do here in this particular subject matter, is we want to ask what's the truth in a godly manner to find what medical science actually says. And medical science says a lot. And then put it to scriptural principle and then stand as a true Christian with Christian love and understanding for those who suffer. And make no mistake, Jonathan, there are a lot of people who are suffering through a, a transgender crisis in their, in, in their beings. And it's not the kind of thing that we should just look at and say, you know, so what? You know, that that's, that's just should not be us. And Rick, discussing the truth, the best way in social media to do that is go to CQ Bible Podcast on Facebook, CQ Bible Podcast on Instagram, CQ Bible Podcast on Twitter, and CQ Bible Podcast on YouTube. CQ Bible Podcast, that's the key. Okay. We're going to go to another soundbite, and um, I'm going to stop this one in the middle. There's, there's several pieces to this we're going to go through in a couple of segments. What does the transgender brain look like? This is from D News, and, uh, and we're going to stop this just after 32 seconds or so of the soundbite because I want to make a comment, and then we're going to get into a study, and then we're going to get into two more studies that they cite. Folks, want to, first, let, let's, let's let them set the groundwork, which I think is really important. Hi, everyone. Julia and Julian. Transgender means a person identifies as a gender other than what they were assigned at birth. Cisgender, on the other hand, are those who identify as the same gender they were assigned at birth. Unfortunately, being trans is a much more difficult path than being cis. Transgender individuals face a world filled with violence, erasure, and ignorance. But by being true to themselves, they open up a road for so many others to follow. Still, why would anyone purposefully subject themselves to a life of difficulty? Well, it's not a choice. It's who they are, and science can back that up. What? Okay, it's who they are, science can back that up. We're going to get into all of that. But the, the phrase was a world of violence, erasure, and ignorance. They need to be true to themselves and open the door for many, many others. This is a phrase that is basically saying they face an uphill battle, and that's true. There's no question about that. And they're describing that uphill battle as a world of violence, erasure, and ignorance. want to just pause on that for a moment, we're going to come back to that later on in the broadcast because when we look at medical facts, we want to match those medical facts up against such a such a phrase. So, okay, and we're going to get into the first study now. Okay, so here it comes from from uh, again. This is from uh, D News. Study published in the Journal of Neuroscience identified networks in the brain associated with gender. Using diffusion-based magnetic resonance tomography imaging, the researchers looked at the brains of people who are transgender as well as female and male controls. They found microstructures or connections to the brain that differed significantly between the male and female subjects. However, the networks in the brains of those who identified as transgender seemed to take up a middle position. 
The researchers also found a link between these networks and the amount of testosterone in the bloodstream, suggesting that sex hormones affect how these structures form in the brain, which is supported by earlier research. Okay, so um, they're talking about the brain of a transgender person, according to this particular study they're citing, looks different. What's your response? What, what, does it look different? Uh, how, how, how do we understand what that means? So, <clears throat> excuse me. So they, we actually were able to obtain this study that they were talking about. It's um, published by Scientific American. And one of the things, I had to do a thesis for my master's, so I did a lot of research. <laughs> and with research studies, you look for um, double-blind best possible, which is very difficult in this type of situation. You look for a very large amount of people because um, you want the bigger the, po the population that you can observe allows you to get a general sense for general population and you want it peer-reviewed and which is you know other medical professionals right. reading through it editing it and correcting or saying you know this is where you need improvement or whatever so the scientific american study that they are citing um, was very very small it was 24 females um, females to male um, and 18 male to female scans and they did do before and after um, sex hormone therapy. Um, the biggest thing that I find in this study is if they actually read it in its whole entity, they would find that the study in and of itself says that it's not conclusive. Um, near the end of it, they talk about um, something that's defined as neuroplasticity, which isn't they don't use that phrase in this study, but yeah, and we're going to get into that more later. Right. But go ahead with that. Um, but basically, they say that yes, the study did show that there's a possibility of these microstructures to be changed in the brain, but and I quote: "Of course, behavior and experience shape brain anatomy, so it is impossible to say if these subtle differences are inborn." So basically, these individuals who are making this statement are taking the study for what they want it to say, not looking at whether is it a good study, did it do everything a, a, a study that is conclusive will show, and what did the conclusion say? The conclusion saying it's inconclusive. Right. It's interesting and something that should be further researched, but in a much bigger majority of people. Okay, so it was a small study, and the study itself said it was inconclusive. So when we try to draw a conclusion from something that admits itself to be inconclusive, we've got to be careful. We just have to be careful. Let's go next. Okay, Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah, Rick, uh, in the soundbite, I heard them say a lot of people think that transgender is a choice. Is it? And, you know, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, people don't just randomly pick, hey, I want to change sex. Uh, now, there may be one or two, or so, but we're going to ignore that. The, for the vast majority, this is an internal feeling and sense that they have. It's, it's a genuine feeling and a genuine sense to whatever degree and whatever age they are. And again, we're going to get into that as we go. But no, it's not some kind of random choice like, hey, I think I'll be female today. And for those of us who look at it that way, we're, we, are, we are doing a tremendous disservice to those people who actually suffer through a lot of very, very difficult circumstances because of what they genuinely feel inside of themselves. And we can't ignore that. We're going to try to understand it, but we certainly can't ignore it. So let, let's go and now to the next piece of the soundbite from what does the transgender brain look like? Uh, this is from D News. And in this next 
soundbite they're going to discuss or to touch on two more studies which we happen to have information on as well. Right. Some regions of the brain show difference based on gender. In one study published in the Journal of Psychiatric Research, scientists used MRI techniques to scan the brains of 18 people who were assigned female but identify as male, and 24 male and 19 female heterosexual controls. The researchers found that the white matter of female to male individuals who received no hormone therapy more closely resembled brains of the male subjects than the female subjects. Another study by that same research group, also published in the Journal of Psychiatric Research, focused on those who were assigned male at birth but identified female. The researchers used similar techniques as the other study and found that their white matter microstructures fell between the measurements of male and female subjects. One of the authors of the study concluded, their brains are not completely masculinized and not completely feminized, but they still feel female. Okay, and so two more, two more examples in this, what does the transgender brain look like? Um, what are your thoughts? So one of the studies we weren't able to obtain, but the second study, which was the um, <clears throat> gender dysphoria in children um, written or published by American College of Pediatrics in June 2017, actually doesn't say, say that at all. Um, <laughs> they actually discuss that um, idea of neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to alter those microstructures that they're saying are de well-defined in the transgender community as if you feel that you're male, your brain microstructures show that. Okay, okay, let's pause there for a second. So for those who say that they are transgender, what what they're, what we're talking about is the brain, these white matter, I have no idea what my white matter is, but I know it matters, okay? <laughs> um, it, it's different than a male or a female, it's somewhere in between. That's, that's what they're saying. Right. And, and that's what those studies show. They show that it is different. And you keep, you're mentioning this neuroplasticity thing. So yes. go ahead. So neuroplasticity is a well-established phenomenon, um, which is long-term behaviors that alter brain microstructures. Um, so there's really no evidence that people are born with brain microstructures um, that are ever forever unalterable. Uh, but there's significant evidence that experiences change your brain microstructures. So this would be more of a nature versus nurture sort of situation where does your environment control and change, you know, if you're being exposed to wanting to be female and you're male and you're doing it often enough, your brain will conform to believe that. Okay. And, you know, you say, oh, okay, well, you're just saying that about this. But the idea of neuroplasticity works in all areas of our lives. We develop the way we look at the world, and that's what neuroplasticity is. It develops the patterns with which we look at the world. Let me give an example that's completely different from this. And Jonathan, this might, you might not like this example in a great, great way, but I'm going to use it anyway. Okay? I like, fo okay, I like, I like football. Okay? I'm a real, real heavy-duty New York Giants fan. And you love the Pittsburgh Steelers. This I know. Oh, I do. Yes. Here's the problem. I, for some unknown reason, don't like the Steelers. I can't pin it, but I have this emotional reaction that I've had since I was, you know, like for the last 30 years, like, ugh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And for the life of me, because you love the Steelers, I keep trying to say, Rick, get over it. But I've got this response that somehow got inside of me. I don't know what made it happen there. I know that the reason I don't like the New York Jets is because my dad, when he used to read the newspaper and would read the sports section and read about the Jets and Joe Namath, he just thought Joe Namath was a very poor example of, 
of of of, of a man, and he would, ah, he'd make all kinds of noises when he'd read about it, and I and it stuck with me. But that's the example; it gets stuck in there, and you have this innate response that that's neuroplasticity. Right, and I think the thing with these studies is um, it's something we call correlation without causation. Okay, it, whoa, whoa, whoa! <clears throat> correlation without you got to talk slow for a guy like me. Okay, I'm old. So basically, it means that you look at something and say, oh, well, this this seems to be correlated or this seems to be a reaction to that. But just because you do a scan of someone who's transgender and their brain shows this, it doesn't mean there's other factors that aren't contributing to it. So with research, you have to really have a very tightly knit study to really show true causation and correlation together. Okay. So we like to correlate things, but there's not necessarily the cause behind it. Correct. All right. And, and you have to be careful with that. So what happened was with, with this particular soundbite from these particular folks at D News, they were citing these studies as though here is proof. But what you're saying is when you actually look at the studies, the studies themselves are telling you they're not proof. Right. I mean, this particular study, gender dysphoria in children, I know we will touch upon it later. Um, I mean, the study is phenomenal with just the research that they look at and the different studies that they bring into to kind of show you their point of view. And the people who did that um, soundbite, if they had actually read the study, they probably wouldn't have used it in their podcast. Okay, there you go. Um, we're, we're, we're getting shy on time here, and there's a couple things. You know, I want to spend a moment on, on, on the history, you know, looking back in history in terms of transgender in history, and it's there. It's, it's sketchy, but it's certainly there. Um, I just want to mention, though, I was handed an article from Thought Co., Thought Co., and it was about Tiresias, who was a mythological individual and the, it says Tiresias, Ovid's Metamorphoses, Mythological Transgendering. And that raises your eyebrows like, whoa, they had transgender uh, individuals in mythology. But that's not true. If you read the story of Tiresias, it was a man who was cursed to become a woman for seven or eight years, whatever it was, and then found a way to go back. There was no transgender about it. It was a curse for him. And Jonathan, what we do is we take things and, and conveniently, what was that phrase, causation? Correlation without causation. We, we make the correlation like, wow, it was even in mythology. Ah, be careful, because that's not what the story of Tiresias really is. That's just a quick example. Uh, Jonathan, just give us, there's a couple of really important websites that we want to just draw everybody's attention to. Yeah, absolutely, Rick. Uh, the first one uh, is www sexchangeregret.com sexchangeregret.com and the second is www.walthayer.com that's w-a-l-t-h-e-y-e-r and if you didn't get that quick enough go to CQ Rewind because we're going to have that listed in our CQ Rewind to check out because these are really good websites with a lot of solid information. Yeah, and I went and I found a lot of medical backed information there and that's what made made me, you know, it, it helped me a lot. It's Jonathan, let's go back to Matthew 7 verses 7 through uh, 11 and 12 now. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? 
In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. So this gives us what our business is. Is my gender your business? What's the business of a Christian when dealing with this type of issue? Our business is what, Jonathan? Even when, especially when we are blessed with insight, knowledge, and even wisdom, we must always and intentionally treat others with the same kind of respect we want for ourselves. And you know, as a Christian, that is so very important to treat others with the same kind of respect, even if you look at them and say, no, 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 they're entirely wrong. But you know, Jesus treated everyone with respect. And you know, that's our example, that's what we should do. You know, Jonathan, it's very sobering to see how easy it is to miss the really big picture. You're right, we have to pay attention. What is the long-term outlook for a transgender individual? Do they usually find happiness? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. Whatever side of whatever debate you might be on, I'm sure that we all would want to agree that we want to do the things necessary to support the long-term health and welfare of those in question. Let's look carefully at this statement, support the long-term health and welfare of those in question. Because truly believing that statement might require dramatic shifts in our thinking and in our stand. Are we willing to stand for someone's well-being or are we driven simply by a cause no matter the results? And every one of us has to ask ourselves that specific question in terms of understanding how all of this is going to work. So, and, and Rick, again, we, we need to mention, due to the extreme sensitive, emotionally charged, and potentially graphic content of today's podcast, we encourage parents to use their... Um, discretion regarding the listening ears of their children right you know some of this stuff is not especially this particular segment uh, don't believe it is appropriate for children so we're because we're going to be talking about suicide rates frankly you know that's where we're heading here now uh, Jonathan a scriptural principle as we approach this next part is what for consider how uh, oh script scriptural principle be prepared and inspired to fight the long hard battles for godly good for they are worth fighting. Okay, prepare and inspire to fight battles for godly good. Godly good. And there's a reason we keep using that phrase, Hebrews 12, 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right, so you've got to be willing to go the distance, if you will, to be really, really firm in finding truth, standing for truth, and being willing to deal with, with whatever backlash there might be to that truth. And we're going to go back to uh, that, that, uh, that one um, YouTube video that was explaining transgenderism with this one individual comes out and he's talking to this other person and so forth. And uh, just as we go through this, it's not necessarily medical, but just give me a sense of what you think about the explanation given in this piece. Excited to learn more, Kayla wonders, is transgender a third gender? No. Adam reveals that it is an umbrella term that can be used for someone who identifies with the opposite sex, such as Adam, 
or it can refer to other various genders that aren't exclusively masculine or feminine. This includes bigender, people who identify with two genders, pangender, people who identify with all genders, and even agender, people who are genderless. Ultimately, people can choose from many terms and definitions they think represents their gender identity and also matches their self-expression. With so many different genders, Kayla is uncertain what pronouns she should use. Adam clarifies that it depends on each person's preference. If unsure, there is nothing wrong with asking. All right, Adam, any, any specific reactions? Well, I mean, I think, like you said before, you have to take their feelings and what they're going through through consideration. Um, but at the same time, and not necessarily as a friend, but in the medical field, you have to look at the bigger picture. It's not just, you know, whatever they say they, they feel, you have to acknowledge it, but you have to see if there's something underlying there. And like you said before, there's definitely people who truly are, you know, transgender and they have this struggle and we need to address it. But to just put a blanket statement that I'm just going to address you however you want to be addressed and not look into it further from the medical perspective is a disservice, I think. And again, pain is what they say it is gone bad. Really, right. that, that's kind of where we're going. There. Okay, so let, let's continue with medical science. Uh, is being transgender normally a standalone challenge that people have to face? Or are there other factors typically involved in that? Um, so there's a lot of other factors um, involved. There was a um, study put out, um, a survey study, um, put out by the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force and National Center for Transgender Equality, and they surveyed over 6,000 transgender people. Um, and this survey was a 70-point question survey, and the results were very saddening and very astounding. Um, you know, one of the things that they said is that a lot of transgender people have a lot of medical and mental health comorbidities, or in other words, other diagnoses that go with it, hand okay, in so hand. Okay, so a comorbidity is another diagnosis. Correct. Got so it. like you could have hypertension and diabetes. Okay. If you're diagnosed with, diagnosed with diabetes first, your comorbidity is hypertension. So, you know, of, of note, some of the things that people were generally diagnosed with were anxiety, depression, conduct disorder. Oppositional Defiant Disorder, Autism, Narcissistic Personality, Substance Abuse, and Disassociative. That's just, you know, kind of the major ones that I noticed. Um, and then on top of that, the particular study was to look at the suicide rates, um, or suicide attempts, shall I say, um, in the gen trans transgender community. Okay, and okay, pa pause for a second, because I want, I want to put a space between that. So first, what you're saying is there's a lot of other... Again, the, the, the medical phrase is comorbidity, other maladies Correct. that go along with those who experience being transgender. Correct. And it's not 100% of the time, but they found that there was a good percentage that had um, also mental health comorbidities. And I think it was like 60-something percent, if I remember right. Yes, okay. it was a large number. Okay. So with that in mind, now let's focus on the... The, the suicide situation. And folks, this is where you really have to pay attention. This is where it gets very, very serious. And talk to us about uh, suicide amongst those who are transgender. So just to put it in perspective, um, 
one one thing about doing studies is you have to say what may have put your study at a disadvantage. So one of the things they did mention is they're not sure if it really shows the population as a whole. So they do expect that some of the, the answers may actually show an increased percentage versus what the reality may be. Um, and then in the general population, um, national suicide attempts are about 4.6% in general population. So with this study, you ended up having a transgender community was at 41% okay, for okay, suicide okay, attempts. Okay, pause, pause. 4.6% suicide attempts in the general population. Correct. 41% in the transgender population. Correct. Now, what study is this? Because that sounds that sounds outrageous. So this is the study that I mentioned by the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force and National Center for Transgender Equality. And they had sent out um, over 6,000 um, surveys to the gen sorry, excuse me, transgender population. And with this, they quantified suicide attempt and they broke it down into like 70 different points. And it's very, very staggering the numbers that they found and i quote from w one of their kind of conclusions is overall the most striking finding in our analysis was exceptionally high prevalence of lifetime suicide attempts presented by the ntds respondents across all demographics and experiences so it didn't it wasn't singled out to one specific population okay so one of the things that is often said about the transgender community and it's true is that they are the subject of a lot of harassment. And that's true. I mean, that's true, and that's awful, that's despicable, but it's true. And and I have heard discussions in all of my own trying to prepare for this that, well, you know, their suicide rate is higher because of the, uh, you know, because of the hostility shown to them. Well, I mean... The you know, one of the studies is that they say that this particular study can't really identify that because of the fact that they don't have a correlation on when their suicide attempt was versus when the abuse occurred. Okay. So they can't say for sure. Um, but there are many different factors here. You can't just say that something's correlated without actually knowing the cause. If there's mental health issues, if there's you know, yes, physical abuse and emotional abuse may account for it, but there's also high, high um, numbers in sexually transmitted diseases, HIV, substance abuse, and all of those things make you a huge risk factor. Sure. Okay. So, so, and, and you know, there was a second study that I just want to touch on because I remember going over this with you uh, that was done in Sweden. Yes. And in Sweden, and that study was a 30 year study, 1973 to 2003. So that study, um, they followed 324 sex reassigned. So these are people who had the sexual um, reassignment surgeries or bottom surgeries as they refer to. And these are via match cohort study. And that is they gathered information from national databases instead of actually interviewing people. Um, so it was, cut, it was uh, double blind and no dropouts because okay. you you know they have a very high dropout rate with anybody when they're trying to, to study transgender communities. There's a very high um, dropout Yeah, we're going to touch on that later. But. So it found that the mortality or risk of death was higher in the sex reassigned group, higher risk of suicide attempt, higher risk of inpatient hospitalization for mental health. And they're concluded, and I quote, even though sex reassignment alleviates gender dysphoria, there is a need to identify and treat co-occurring psychiatric morbidities in transsexual persons, not only before, but also at, after sex reassignment. 
the author points out that a lot of other studies that they had quoted um, to use as a basis for why they were doing the study had a high dropout rate, and that's why the studies were inconclusive. So the bottom line, though, is that study with the 6,000 individuals reveals a 41% attempted suicide rate. Correct. 41%. I just can't get my head around and that That's self-reported suicide rates. Okay, okay, so self-reported means yes, and this is what I tried to do to Correct. myself. Versus, okay, and, uh, and, and there may have been those who... And it doesn't um, include successful right, suicide. Right, because obviously they don't report. Correct. So it, 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 it's such a massive number compared to the general population. Folks, we've got to ask ourselves, what is this? What, what can we do about this? How can, how can we be a positive influence? Because that is just, just way beyond the pale. Um, want to as, as, move on from suicide. We're going to keep coming back to those numbers, I think, as we go, go further. Another, another piece of the soundbite of what transgender simply explained educational videos and lectures. You know, um, the guy is explaining, and again, he's explaining in a very simplistic way. And we're using this simplistic approach because, A, it gives you a sense of, of, of a little bit of understanding, but it also gives you a sense of what the normal dialogue on the matter is. Listen carefully to this next piece, and then we're going to go into standards of care from there. Still curious, Kayla wants to know, do all transgender people automatically get hormone therapy and gender reassignment surgery? Adam explains that being transgender does not rely on a physical change. It's about identifying and expressing oneself based on how they feel. If they do seek medical assistance to transition, then they would be called transsexual. Additionally, Adam tells Kayla that he wants to educate the public about what it means to be transgender in order to fight the consistent discrimination they face. Transgender people have come a long way on the path to acceptance. However, they still have a difficult journey ahead. They must find the strength and confidence to embrace who they are while combating social stigma that can even influence friends and family. Okay, you know, they have to combat social stigma, and that's true. Um, and, but again, what we want to do is understand that in relation to medical science. It's not enough to just say, um, yes, this is a big issue, but what does medical science say? And so far... We haven't seen medical science saying that they can identify somebody, for instance, somebody's born this way. And we're going to get into that a little bit more uh, coming coming segment. But let, let's talk for, for a few minutes here, Em, about the standards of care for deciding to undergo hormone therapy and surgery. Have these standards changed? Are they changing? Um, and we're, gonna, we're actually going to come back to this later as well. So what I could find, because it's not something that I diagnose or treat myself, <clears throat> that the standards of care um, recommend that diagnosis is made by a mental health professional. However, it is not a requirement. Um, and It's not a requirement to be diagnosed by a mental health professional. Correct. And okay. when we get into the, the children aspect of things, um, you'll find that a lot of physicians that are treating gender dysphoria, especially in children, are doing it because the parents are asking for it versus recommendations. There are really no standardized care because nothing's FDA approved. Really. Okay, okay. No you're saying there's no standardized care because nothing is FDA approved. Especially in children. Yeah. I mean it's 
and children. Yeah, from that's what the I next could segment, find, so that's what I mean. From what I could find, is there's not really a great. There hasn't been enough research on the study to know long-term effects of these sex hormones in in the long term, 30, 40 years from now. What does it do to people? And that's what the FDA is supposed They don't put things on the market without having a good, clear understanding. Okay. So, and, and that's going to that's gonna open up a can of worms. Really, it truly is going to open up a really big can of worms as we move forward. So, Jonathan, in this segment, we're looking at tremendous suicide rates. We're looking at... Um, the fact that for the majority of those folks who are transgender, there's generally other psychological issues that, that accompany it. So this is, a, this is not just one thing. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. And when you have all of these things working together, it creates a 41% suicide rate. That's horrible. There's, we've got to look at it a different way. Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And the idea of that scripture at this point is to say, look, we have to stand up and we have to create an environment within our Christian communities of whatever straight paths for our feet are. And actually in the next segment, we're really gonna focus on that because we're gonna be really focusing on children. But is my gender your business? What is our business based on some of the things we talked about in this segment? Be a beacon of light that shines through harsh and hateful darkness by keeping your path straight and showing others the way to godly peace. Gotta keep your path straight, both in what you think, in what you say, and in what you do. That's not both, that's three things. You know, we've got to be thinking along scriptural lines, Christian lines, but factual lines. We want to be thinking based on what the facts are and apply our Christianity to that. And when you do that, folks, you really you really don't end up end up going wrong. So, look, when we stop to consider the how much pain people live with, it is utterly heartbreaking. It is. And now the biggest question, are we giving children who claim to be transgender all of the most effective support possible? There's a lot of talk program topics out there. If you're burnt out on Capitol Hill and Trump, don't worry, we never go there. But if you're looking for unique ways to look at the Bible, we'll make you think about how today's world ties into Scripture like you've never thought about before. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Admittedly, all of our conversation up to this point has been preparing us for this segment right here. With a firm foundation in medical science, we now need to look with our deepest compassion, our most enlightened wisdom, and our clearest focus at children and the transgender challenge. Are we currently doing the very best for them by way of support, by way of treatment, by way of guidance, as we seek for them to have a happy life? Are we doing the very best for children? That's what we're focusing on in this segment. Once again, due to the extreme sensitivity, uh, emotionally charged and potentially graphic content of today's podcast, we encourage parents to use the discretion regarding the listening ears of their children. Yeah, and again, this is another segment that we do not think uh, children should be listening to. Scriptural principle to get us started, Jonathan, is really simple. Follow godly principles as we raise and influence our children. Hebrews 12, again, Hebrews 12, 9 and 10, gives us a sense of that. Furthermore, 
We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. Okay, submitting to the Father of discipline. There is a godly principle there that we should be disciplining our children in light of God's discipline for us. So with that in mind, let's talk about children. And for me, Jonathan, I will tell you right up front, this segment is the hardest. The last segment, talking about suicide, was, it's, it's, it's jarring. But now we're talking about kids. So let's take a look at, uh, let's go back to uh, what does the transgender, transgender brain look like from D-News. And again, you know, so far what they have done is they've kind of, it sounds to me, and this is a Rick opinion, they're pushing an agenda and not being clear and concise about the studies that they're talking about. Well, here they're going to be bringing up more studies uh, with kids. And if it's a matter of brain wiring, a lot of kids would know early, and they do. In one study published in the Graduate Journal of Social Science found that 76% of participants knew they were transgendered before they left elementary school. A small study published in the journal Psychological Science found that kids as young as five who identify as trans showed a consistency in gender identity across various measures. I actually saw Laverne Cox speak at an event at Rutgers and she said exactly the same thing. The researchers asked 32 transgender kids aged five to 12 questions about gender and under the implicit association test to see how kids identify with various things. Using the IAT, the researchers could see how quickly the kids associated gender with the concepts of me and not me. It's a fast test, so they don't have a lot of time to think about it, they just respond. The researchers found that the kids' responses were indistinguishable from their cisgendered peers. The transgender girls responded the same as cisgender girls, and the transgender boys responded just like the cisgender boys. The researchers concluded that their study provided clear evidence to support that transgender children are not confused, delayed, pretending, or oppositional. They instead show responses entirely typical and expected for children with their gender identity. Okay, so M, they're saying that they're saying these children are not delayed, confused, and so forth. They really know who they are. What do you, what's your response? What, what medically, where, where do we go with this? So to look into that, um, one of the articles that we we used is um, written by a pediatrician who sits on the board for American Pediatrics, and in all of the research that they do have prior to today's push of hormones is 80 to 90 percent of children who were directed um, to associate by their own sex who thought that they were transgender as a child grew out of it. So even if these five-year-olds are saying I feel like a boy or I feel like a girl, 80 to 95 percent of them if reassociated with their gender grew out of that that feeling of wanting to be a boy or a girl. Okay 80 to 95 percent. Correct. Article by Michelle Cretella. She's written actually several articles that we reference here. Um, the the uh, the study gender dysphoria in children and the suppression of debate. An article by Michelle uh, Cretella in uh, 2016. And again, folks, we have the references here. Seek your rewind the full edition. If you don't subscribe, please do get the references. Read the articles. Read the references to the studies yourself. Don't take our word for it. Read what medical science has said. And instead of us looking at wanting something to be true and trying to find something that makes it true, let's look at what medical science has told us. 
uh, up to this point. Okay, so at um, 80 to 95%, that's an enormous number. Correct. And I think the interesting thing is that when they have um, children who are introduced to hormones, that percentage goes down significantly when they are told that, yes, you are a boy or you are a girl versus what their biological sex is. So in my medical opinion, you're looking at nature versus nurture. If you're nurturing someone to believe that they are what you are telling them as a child who can't really comprehend and giving them hormones to make their bodies not do what they're supposed to be doing, it's not surprising that you're going to see a decrease in change of mind as, as they get older. Neur, neur, neuroplasticity? Neuroplasticity. Okay. Correct. Neuroplasticity, again, where we form the, the, the thinking of, of children. And folks, look, we do that as parents, as, as friends of kids. Look at your life. Look at the way you react and respond to things and think back. And there are things, just like my, sorry, Jonathan, just like my dislike for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know where it came from. I've tried really hard to get rid of it, but it's still there. Why is that? It's because something along the line sunk in. Don't know what it was, but that happens to all of us. You know, I have a a Christian friend that I was talking to recently about this whole this whole issue. And she I will say that she's you know kind of sort of in my general age bracket, okay? Been around for a few years. Uh, you know gone gone around the block a few times. And she said, she said, "Rick, you know when I was when I was young, I wanted to be a boy." And she explained that. She, you know, she she had a boy neighbors on both sides and would always play with the boys and she'd like to play with the boys the, the toys that they played with and climb trees and she said that she didn't want the dolls and she told her mom and dad I don't want I don't want girl toys I want boy, boy toys I want I want I want you know trucks and things and I want to build roads and do all that stuff now if she had lived today as a kid perhaps her parents would have looked at her and said oh my goodness look at that she is transgender she was just left to the normal vicissitudes of life and grew up to be a very well-adjusted woman. For And, and there was never an issue because that's what kids do. And I guess my question here is, are we pressing our children into an issue or are we following nature? And is this biological? I'm going to go with no. Um, why would you do that? <laughs> it was very interesting. I had never actually never really thought of it this way when um, I started looking into this. But the article um, written by Michelle Cretella goes into a study that was done um, on 110 sets of identical twins. Now, identical twins are often used um, for science um, studies because, just like it says, identical DNA. So if it's something biologic. If one twin has it, the other one is going to have it 99% of the time. And so they looked at 110 set of twins and to see that were one was definitely transgender. At, at least one was transgender in to 110 see, sets. Right. Okay. To see if it was congruent on both sides. And it was only 28% were both transgender, which, you know, it's a, s- a smaller study. But in that sense, when you know that identical twins share the same exact genetics and they're exposed to the same hormones because I know there's a whole issue on whether testosterone has something to do with you know development in the fetus it pretty much says that it's 
not founded in rigorous science, that it's not biologic. Okay, so now that, that's, that's important. And you know, another, another sense of this is Medicare and Medicaid, uh, I read in one of the studies, uh, will not support hormone therapy because there's not enough evidence to show that it actually works. Correct, um, especially in children. Right. Um, you know, right. right in children, I should focus on that. Yeah, I mean, in children, it's it's experimental, is is to put it lightly. It's if you are a cancer patient and you want nothing's working for you and you want to participate in an experimental drug, there's regulations. It's monitored. Sometimes you're compensated. Sometimes you're not. But I mean, it is very very strictly regulated and. These medications are not. They're approved for children who go into pu- like puberty early. Okay. Girls who start puberty at eight or nine, five or six. And they use these suppressants to stop and then re- take them off around 11 or 12 so that their bodies can naturally So they're on do. those things for a very short time. Right. And then when your body is supposed to start going through puberty, they take you off of them. And unfortunately, there's no studies that really look at what these do in the long run there's not a single randomized trial for these hormones and that is there's a lot of damage that can be done with that they're not fda approved fda approved and like i've mentioned before in this article you know she mentions that a lot of the doctors are admitting that well they're doing it because a lot of parents are requesting it and that's Pain is what they say it is. That is not how you do medicine. So, so folks, let me let me put this in, in in a perspective for you. Suppose your child is ill, and you say, "Okay, this is a serious illness," and you 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 go to a medical professional and they say, "Okay, there's two courses of treatment. One, you have an eighty to ninety five percent chance that they can be cured. That's one course of treatment." The other course of treatment will bring you to a 41% chance that they will try to kill themselves. 89-5% chance of cure, 41% chance of trying to kill themselves. As a parent, if you didn't know anything else, which course of treatment would you choose? And of course we'd say, well, duh. But the problem is, folks, that what we're doing is we're overlooking, we're burying the lack of medical credence behind this for children and we're moving forward anyway and, and i think it's just sorry to interrupt but no, to, no, just no. to know is um a dr zenith zucker who was a long time activist for pre-pubertal children believed that it was best served to them to align them with their anatomic sex and then if it persists throughout adolescence then you start addressing hormones and other types of things and he lost his job over it. Thirty-year career for not for saying like hormones are not appropriate in prepubescent children because they need to be aligned with their anatomical sex, and then we'll reevaluate later. Okay, all right. So, so this is a difficult thing, and we are in a social environment that, based on what we're saying, you know, you, you look at it and say, well, you know, what do you know? Well, look at look at the medical science. Seek your rewind, the full edition. If you don't subscribe, it's a free service. Please do at ChristianQuestions.com. Want to go? Want to go quickly to another soundbite because you're talking about puberty blockers. This is a, a young lady who is, I think, 11 in this soundbite, uh, talking about puberty blockers because she, Ariel, uh, is biologically male but believes that she is female. And look, as as I say that. I am not at all 
undermining her sense of who she thinks she is at all. She believes it. There's no question about it. But let's get to the blockers after we hear the soundbite. The hormone blockers, they give me a space where I can really feel completely just sure of myself and I can just have that little breathing space before I enter puberty. And you're just in this nice little world where you're still like a child and it's just great before you develop. It's harder teasing and bullying wise when you're a girly boy, when you're in that age, than when you fully transitioned. It's much harder to be gender non-conforming than to be transgender because when you're gender non-conforming, that is when really a lot of difficulties set in. Ariel did not transition until she was 11 when she started Blockers. Okay, so you've got this, this, this individual transitioning at 11 years old. And then we're a little bit short on time here, but, you know, the idea of children making such decisions, uh, I don't know, did you have something specific about the blockers before we get to that? No, I, I think the biggest specific thing, I'll try to be short, is that, you know, they say that there's a long, big thing in science that it's not harmful or it's reversible, and there's a certain point where it's not. And I won't go into detail because it's a little interesting detail on what those irreversible effects are if you decide you want you don't really feel that way after you start these blockers it's yeah significant and, and we might have time in the next segment to touch on that again so let, we'll come back to that but i guess to me you know okay as a christian what are you supposed to do all right and, and you know let, let's get practical here for a moment what are we supposed to do as a christian you you have a friend or you know you're going to a pta meeting and you're, you're sitting down next to parents and they've got a seven or eight or nine year old and they are they are transgender uh, you know what are you supposed to do do you say oh my gosh did you read the studies what's the matter with you is that what jesus would have done i mean we've got to ask ourselves what would be the kind of proper response and to me jonathan the proper response is to make a friend and to find an opportunity if it opens up to make a suggestion that you know um, there's there's been a lot of studies on this that have a lot of different uh, conclusions that most of us have not are not aware of I'd be happy to get you a copy of that study you know something like that to to just open the door for opportunity because really what we're talking about is the health and well-being of a child and just because a child believes something, and this might sound harsh to some, and I apologize, because a child might believe something doesn't mean that what the child believes is true, even if they believe it in the core of their being, because they're a child. We don't trust children with life decisions, and yet here we do. Why? Why here, and why not with other things? So we've got to really be careful as we look at this issue and deal with it. Uh, and you know, and it's difficult, Jonathan, it's difficult to take the other pathway because you look like you're someone who's not paying attention to your child's feelings. You look like you're somebody who's got this harsh viewpoint, but in fact, it's a medically sound viewpoint. Hebrews 12, 11. 
All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. So, simple thing. Discipline is hard now. It's difficult now. But again, the picture of the cure, 80 to 95% will work themselves out. But it's not going to be easy for the next few years. 80 to 95% can work themselves out. But you got to go through difficulties. Or you can pat them on the head and say, okay, we're 80 to 95% are not okay. And we can lead them down a path where science, where, where statistics say 41% attempt suicide. Folks, think about that. We have placed our children's thinking and feeling above our parental judgment. And that is not an appropriate place for a Christian to be. My gender, is my gender your business? What's our business? Our business, Rick, is to stand. Firmly plant your feet upon the firm foundation of that which is godly good and face the storm and uncertainty that comes with that stance with courage and faith. So, you know, Jonathan, especially dealing with, with, with children, this just makes me want to scoop these children up and just take their pain away myself. That's what I want to do. Unfortunately, we can't. So where do we go from here? How do we make the best use of our transgender understanding? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. This all brings us to the classic now what scenario. As we approach that pointed question of where do we go from here with what we understand medically, we feel a need to throw one more curveball into the equation. As challenging and heartrending as our and as our compassion and understanding toward the transgender com- community are, there are yet others who find themselves living even further out on the fringes. And as we get into this, Jonathan, this, this is just frankly disturbing. And what we, we're, we're going to get into an area that a lot of people have never even heard of, but yes, it's a thing. Before we go there, scriptural principle here is what? We must do godly good to all, and we must do it courageously. Godly good. Just because you might be right doesn't mean you're doing godly good with what might be right. Make sure that your heart is tuned to the pain and the difficulty and the trauma that these folks live with because it's serious, serious stuff. And we, of all people, should be most compassionate in wanting to lend a hand and also help them find things that can actually maybe bring them to to actual real peace. Uh, Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, do good to all people. That's what the scriptures tell us, and folks, that's what we are to do as Christians. Now, let's go down another road, and folks, some of you may not have heard of this, but we're going to talk just for a couple of minutes about those who are transabled. So Emily, what does it mean to be transabled uh, and what what are we supposed to do with it? 
So people who are trans-abled believe that, um, for example, they believe they shouldn't have a left arm. And they try to cut it off or try to get a physician, surgeon to remove it for them because they believe they shouldn't have been born with their arm, their leg, whatever, eyesight. what have you. Eyesight, right, right. ears, what have you. Okay, so to be transabled is to be of sound body, but to not be comfortable in the soundness of the body. Correct. And there are articles, there are examples, there are interviews of people who believe that. And so if we are going to take the word of someone who, and and again, folks, you say, well, you know, you have no right to go down this road, but the question is, where do you stop it? Where do you stop it? Do you stop with the transgender individual who just, because they simply say it, we just jump on it and run with it? Do you do that with someone who is trans-abled as well? What about somebody who's uh, transracial, who believes that they were born the wrong race? There's documented evidence of those folks. What do we do with those things? Or transkinder. What does transkinder mean? Transkinder is those adults who feel they are in a child's body and want to love children, but they consider they are not considered pedophiles. Where do you draw the line? And again, you had mentioned earlier um, about medical professional, a, a, psych, a medical a psychiatric doctor, you know, being able to, to get involved, but it's not necessary anymore. Correct. And in a lot of states now, one of the things that's happened is that the uh, the treatment for a transgendered child uh, is that the the psychologist is not allowed to ask them how they got to that point. I, I remember reading that once. Yeah. I don't know if you have that in front of you. Or I not. don't. Not in front of me. No. But do you remember that part? Yeah. Go ahead. And it's it. You know, they are not allowed to kind of dig, if you will, deeper into what might be causing it because just no one here is saying that transgender is not a real thing right but there's a percentage that are probably fixed to something else that goes hand in hand with it whether it be a trauma uh uninvolved parent a mother who wishes they had a son or a daughter instead of a son or a daughter that they got that's called gender mourning when you, you when you're a mother and you wanted a girl and you had a boy so you make your boy dress up like a girl these are realities, and right. some cases might be related to those things, and those things need to be involved and, and, and explored because if you don't, then even if they get the sex transition, their inside, their mind is not going to be cured. Their mind is not going to be settled because there's something much deeper there that no one is looking at. Well, and, and I want to go back to Jonathan. You had mentioned the website sexchangeregret.com. And that website, I want to just give a little history on that. That website was put together by Walt Heyer, and that was the other website, WaltHeyer.com. SexChangeRegret.com was put together by Walt Heyer. Walt, in the 1970s, went through one of the very early American sex change operations. He believed that he was a woman. He absolutely believed it. And in those days, you want to talk about a situation where you're not getting any support. Back in those days, there was none. He went through with it. He lived as a woman, I forget, for seven or eight years. He got psychotherapy, and he realized that there were underlying issues that brought him to that, and he actually went through the pain and difficulty of changing back to a man. And since then, he has dedicated his life to trying to help those who get stuck in this 
because another unreported, and we're not even going to get into this, but an unreported statistic here is, is how many people are just dissatisfied after a time. Once the euphoria wears off, what's happening with a lot of these folks, remember 80 to 95% of those who feel transgender as a child grow out of it. And we are not treating them as 80 to 95%. We're, we're taking that statistic and we're, and, we're, and, we're, and we're diluting it down because we're paying attention to a feeling rather than to the underlying fact. And so when you get stuck, you need some help. And there are so many people that get stuck like that. And again, that's why the, the, this, this information is so very, very important. And Christian Questions, Jonathan, usually never goes into things like this. So this is a very unusual foray for us. But folks, the reason we're doing it is because the bottom line is, look, we're all human, we're all broken, we're all imperfect, we all suffer, we all have things that we have to, to cope with in our lives. This is a particular issue that has grown dramatically in the last few years. Now, how many how many centers were there? Uh, do you remember twenty four centers? Um, yeah, I actually had that. And then it moved so, to forty. Yeah, yeah so it was twenty three centers, and then it went up to forty centers. And um, in two thousand fourteen, there were twenty four gender clinics clustered chiefly along the East Coast in California. One year later, forty across the nation. And one of the doctors, Dr. Lopez, um, he was a pediatric endocrinologist um, and, and whatnot, um, he said the use of this protocol, which is prepubescent hormones, um, is growing really fast. And the main reason is, is that parents are demanding it and bringing patients to the door of pediatric endocrinologists because they know this is available. Okay, parents are demanding it. So we're, we're, we're taking the feelings of our children, we're trusting their feelings to pursue a life-altering course that when you look at the result of living a transgender life, and folks, I apologize for bringing this up again, but 41% attempt to take their own lives. What does that tell us? This is serious, serious stuff. I want to go to a soundbite for someone who, um, who supports the transgender work. His name is Norman Spack. He is a, um, a doctor, I think it's Boston Children's Hospital or something. But just, you know, when we keep saying 80 to 95%, listen to what he says. Your gender, which is different from your anatomic sex, describes your self-concept. Do you see yourself as a male or female or somewhere in the spectrum in between? That sometimes shows up in the first decade of life, but it can be very confusing for parents because it is quite normative for children to act in a cross-gender play and way, and that in fact there are studies that show that even 80% of children who act in that fashion will not persist in wanting to be the opposite gender at the time when puberty begins. So the interesting thing here, Em, is that even he, who is a, very, a great advocate of hormone blockers, he says 80%. Now he's using the low end, but give him credit, he at least says it. The problem, Jonathan, is he doesn't say what to do and how to enforce that 80%. See, what we're being taught is that when a child has a thought 
you jump on that thought and you, you affirm that thought and you build their life around that thought, but 80% to 95% of those thoughts are just kids thinking. And really quick on this because I want to get to our, our last piece. Anything specific here? Well, just to add that the Endocrine Society guidelines currently prohibit the use of cross-sex hormones before the age of 16, but, but people are doing it anyway, pretty much. Some gender specialists are already bypassing pubertal suppression and putting children as young as 11 on sex cross-hormones, cross-sex hormones, excuse me. So, you know, and, and folks, why would we do this? Why would we do this? Why would you do this? And there's, there's a there's a legitimate answer okay and i want to touch on that legitimate answer right here and right now next soundbite again this is uh transgender at nine years old uh this is from uh barcroft tv gender gender kinderen gender kinderen uh but again a small piece of a of a of a video on a transgender child listen to the parents description of what they're doing and why now Emily and Clint are focusing on Keith's future. We wanted to be there for her and show her that uh, we're supporting however she feels and, and allowing her to be herself. In just a few months, she could begin puberty blockers before moving to hormone therapy and finally full gender reassignment surgery. Emily and Clint may be happy with their daughter's new life, but Keats' transformation has proved controversial with parents in their community. One father said that he was going to go into the school and beat the boy back into Keat. Other people said that we were um, being abusive parents. I sat in front of the computer and just cried because I couldn't believe that these people were saying these hateful things. Despite the huge backlash, Emily and Clint have fought on and they're delighted to see their daughter finally happy in her own skin. It just comes down to love. I mean, if you love your child, then you should do anything in the world for your child. And it's just as simple and as pure as that. Okay, Em, I'm going to put you on the spot with that one. <laughs> okay, um, I mean, you know what you do. If you love your children, you do what you should do for them. I'm not a parent, but... I can tell you, and being a daughter of the guy <laughs> sitting here, that just because I what I wanted does not mean I got it. I mean, it's not always a good thing. And unfortunately, who knows how this child will turn out? Maybe they're one of the few who truly have this issue, but maybe they're one of the many who will try to attempt to harm themselves. And just, it's just a real struggle as a medical professional to listen to someone say, well, my child wants this, or, and they just fall, fall to it. We had a lot of experience that in the ER. Or people will make, my, my child doesn't like medicine. Well, plug their nose, they'll swallow. You know, it, it just was a, it's just this concept that you see a lot more of, and it can cause harm. And again, the idea of puberty suppression, uh, hormone blockers. There are no there are no tests that show that that is safe in long term no. use. None, zero. None. And and so when and you know when you heard that last soundbite with the beautiful music in the background and the tenderness of you know I can't believe people are saying these hateful things. And you got to think about it. Is it hateful? Is it hateful when you are truly deeply concerned? 
for somebody's long-term welfare. Not for how they feel and about being happy now, but have you turned over every rock to see if this is just a phase? Because the fact is that 80 to 95% of the time, it is just a phase. And you can say, well, my kid is the one. And the next parent is gonna say, well, my kid is the one. And the next parent is gonna say, well, my kid is the one. And you can be sure that the next 10 parents are gonna say, my kid is the one. Eight or nine of those parents are wrong. They're just plain wrong. So what do you do? Again, as a Christian, what do we do? How do we manage this? How do we put ourselves in a place of being helpful? By being able to be willing and able to suggest, to be a friend, to, to have information that's viable medical information to help folks understand and cope with these things. And, and folks, I'm just going to tell you, we're probably going to run just about a minute or two over tonight uh, because we just got to, I don't want to rush finishing this. Um, we started out early in the, in the podcast, Jonathan, with a phrase, a world of violence, erasure, and ignorance, and needing to be true to themselves. And I submit to you folks, as we begin to wrap this up, that are we creating by wanting to help without looking at it from a different perspective that is medically sound? Are we creating a world of future violence for our children, of erasure of what they are, and of ignorance because we love them? And love is such a good thing. But if it's not based in righteousness, it can be such an empty thing. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. doesn't say that he's not going to depart somewhere in the middle. Okay. And, 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 and look, Em, you, you grew up in the house where, where you, I was the dad and you were one of three kids. And I will tell you all, folks, that Emily was, was the one that was the easiest to raise because she seemed to have her head about her all the time. The other two, not so much. <laughs> but, you know, you train up a child in the way they should go, and, and later on in life, you know, they're going to look back and see the discipline and be thankful for that. Love without righteousness is only a topical painkiller and a Band-Aid to cover a festering infection. It looks good and even feels good for a while, but inevitably it will fail miserably. Folks, we don't want to do that to our children. Jonathan, our final piece of business here is, is my gender your business? The Christian's business is what? Before Emily will give you your wrap-up moment here. Love in a supportive and selfless way. Guide and teach in a godly, righteous way. Shine as an example in a humble and Christ-like way and pray for God's kingdom in a hope-filled way. Okay, you were breaking up a little bit there, unfortunately. But, um, you know, the, the point here is that we have to be focused on being thoroughly Christian as we deal with these issues and putting a higher level of righteousness first and being kind and compassionate and understanding so we can help people along the way. Em, just a final wrap-up from you. Well, I mean, just to expand off of that, that's what you have to do as a medical provider as well. You have to be compassionate for how people are presenting and how they're feeling, but you don't have to agree with it. Um, you don't have to agree in any medical profession on how people are treating their bodies or um, doing things like someone's lung disease who still smokes. You don't have to agree with it, but our job is not to consider our feelings, but to consider the medical best medical and evidence-based research 
for that person. We know that smoking causes cancer. That's We have that fact. And you are going to every single time you see that patient discuss smoking cessation. It's actually a standard of care now. Um, you want to give them the best quality of life that you can. And in some cases, cases that's telling a patient that their actions are hurting themselves. We need to do our due diligence and give all the facts. And sometimes, and sometimes it's a lot of the times you get yelled at or ridiculed or told that you're the worst doctor they've ever dealt with. But it's your job to give advice every single time. And I truly believe that the medical community is doing a disservice to the transgender community. Based basically because they're basing things on feeling and not considering all the facts and there's not enough studies out there right now and you have to consider the facts and risks to enable us to provide well-rounded care for those who struggle with gender dysphoria and we can't do it our our treatment can't be based on being fear of being politically incorrect and in some cases i'm sure sexual reassignment surgery is reasonable but it's very clear that it's not for everybody and that there's a lot more underlying issues that need to be addressed. And we need to put our time and effort into providing real medical advice and help. And actually, I'm surprised that there's not more push for that considering how our society thrives on, on evidence-based practice and science right now. And there's a ton of evidence. Seek review on the full edition. We're going to lay out a bunch of ways to find the evidence yourself, to look at it yourself, digest it yourself. Don't take our word for it. And thanks, thanks so much for being with us. This has been this has been huge. And and folks, I just want to say, you know, before we wrap up, um, you know, Emily and her husband Don have been living with us under our roof because a tree fell on your house several months ago, and that's that's a very hard thing to deal with. But I will tell you flat out that I believe that God arranged the timing of such things because I was already beginning to work on this months and months ago and the fact that you were in the house with me and you couldn't get away from me and I could I could badger you again and again help me to get an understanding and to do my own research to do the digging so that I could get an understanding of what's real and what's not and I thank you for for being here and putting up with your dad you know and his obsessions because it's such a difficult thing folks you know as we wrap this up we want you to be clear that what we're trying to do here is be Christian trying to be godly good in what we know and what we do and the fact that we want to make our Christian lives built on facts and so we can be helpful to others not condescending not hurtful not judgmental but helpful because you know the facts for Jonathan Rick and Emily and Christian questions we hope you've enjoyed being with us today been a very difficult deep and probing subject that we hope you take with you and you work on and you realize there's so much more to it. Until next week, transgenderism is everybody's business. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know what you thought of today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com.